Justice Buzzkills, the show that thinks Supreme Court justices should have SugarDaddy.com blocked on all their servers. <laughs> Meanwhile, we know that they have like their own uh, boutique Sugar Daddies, but yeah, <laughs> fair. They just have email. Like, what are we <laughs> I'm Liz Winstead, and that lovely voice you hear is my co-host, Budgie Alamodeo. Hey, Buzzkills, we are back from our summer vacation and the news piled up while we were away. Oh, so let's sort it out together. Mexico has said viva aborto as its Supreme Court has struck down federal criminal penalties for abortion. And we're going to break down what that means for Mexican abortion seekers, as well as folks in Central America and citizens in these here United States. Plus, Florida Supreme Court heard arguments on whether its 15-week abortion ban is constitutional. And there is so much buckery here that could decimate abortion access. And we're going to lay it all out in this pod. That's right. Plus, as always, we have awesome guests. Katie Quinones, Executive Director of the Women's Health Centers of West Virginia and Maryland, joins to talk about the devastating effects of the total abortion ban in West Virginia and how her clinic pivoted to opening a clinic on the West Virginia-Maryland border. Plus, pro-abortion feminist beekeeper and comedian Emma Arnold is here to make us laugh and also make us kind of jelly at the power one queen bee wields over everybody. Mm. I know we, um, you know, the Beyonce Renaissance tour has been happening in the summer. We get it. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Majini. I know. I'm so happy to be back. I mean, it was a good break, but uh, it's nice to get back into the abortion of it all. But I had a great little break. I went tent camping, which is not a thing black people do. And yet there I was. Uh, who talked you into that? Another family. Were they white? No, no. It was a, we had wow. a family of three, three black families, a tent camping, and we were 100% of the people at the campsite. But it was a really good time. And um, my kiddo got the sleeping outdoors experience that he craved and we survived. So I call it a win. Is that your first tenting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my first sleeping in a tent in, intentionally. Yeah, I think I think that might have been it. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you thank you i've done trailer camping and cottage camping which you cottage uh, camping is not a thing and neither is and neither is trailer camping clarence thomas trailer camps oh look we have something in common going to a cabin is going to a cabin it's a house on a lake actually i just want to be clear cottage because it had a screened in porch no that is <laughs> a cabin it's not cottage camping i'm just gonna <laughs> not to school you but i'm from minnesota <laughs> and um i went up to a cottage mm -hmm. and I wasn't I like camping. I was oh, not camping <laughs> no I was in a cottage <laughs> that, had air, that had not air conditioning that had electricity um it was great and of course it was the Minnesota State Fair so I ate my weight in cholesterol oh my gosh so jealous and saw some seed art um you know and did all the things so I know it was nice to have an away break you know the, the way breaks though it's like you kind of like say, I'm going to take a break from abortion, but I don't, I don't know about you, but I never unplug from information. And so it's sort of like you start your break by saying I'm going to unplug, but then really it's just like all the news that came in fast and furious. Felt like I did unplug of, from a lot, but not the big abortion news. I unplugged from other stuff, like another um, school started and a parent was like, oh, did you hear about the attack that happened in the subway? And I was like, mm-mm. No, I apparently plugged out of uh, local news, <laughs> but the wow. big abortion news, my phone was like, you're interested in this, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> I just, I think it's stressful to not pay attention because you, then the thought of catching up on everything seems daunting. 
Mm, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the news is relentless and you're probably right. I felt, except for again, like it's catching up. I'm like, mm, no, it turns out I have in fact paid attention to yeah. all of the stuff I always pay attention to. But I still had fun. Did you still have fun? I had so much fun. I did have a break and there was a a, a minute between um, my kid being out of camp and us not working. And we basically just made it a goal to hit all the bodies of water. So we're talking three pools and two beaches. And that was fantastic. Excellent. There was some breaking there are just like updates on stories we had done over the thing. I just want to talk about one of them because I Alyssa's going to cover some of the other ones in the news dump. But that wacky Southwest Airlines story that we talked about before the break has an update. Do you want to fill people in on like what the story was? Absolutely. And so just to bring everyone up to speed, it, last year when we were all reeling from the end of row and the Dobbs decision, a Southwest Airlines flight attendant uh, got mad at her colleagues and started sending them through Facebook, aborted fetuses, allegedly Wait, did aborted- she get mad at her colleagues and so she sent them those? She did get mad at her colleagues because I think they had um, they had gone to the Women's March in 2017. And so she was like, you bitches stand for the bullshit. And she started sending the head of her union all kind of like anti-abortion propaganda and just saying she was a despicable person through Facebook. And this flight attendant was fired for harassment because if if you sent me these things, uh, I would find someone to complain to. Well, she and sent like fetal, pic- fetal fetal pictures, fetal right? Pictures. Like all that stuff you see outside of clinics. But also insults, like saying you're a despicable person and like you're a terrible person. And so Southwest said, oh, this is against our both social media policy and the way that like, you know, we treat our colleagues. Well, she also claimed, I think we should say, she claimed that it was her religious duty that she was required by her religion. Yes, to spread these photos and apparently tell someone that they're trash. And her argument was also that Southwest was uh, getting in the way of her religious freedom by saying, by firing her for insulting her colleagues. So it was Texas. So a jury and decided that absolutely she was right, that she did have the right to attack her colleagues. But the one of the weirdest twists was that the judge required that the lawyers Southwest lawyers uh, have a religious liberty training with Alliance Defending Freedom. It just seems like some bullshit. Also, the judge is Stars nephew. But it's also like a lot of times they will send uh, lawyers to like, you need to train up on certain things, but it would be to a nonpartisan or non-religious right. higher learning situation. Right. And instead it is the Alliance for Defending Freedom. And when Southwest Airlines said, you know what, we're going to appeal this. Because we don't want to subject our people to this. Um, and this is where the story, the update is. When the, the judge said, no, there's no harm in you going through eight hours of training from Alliance to Defending Freedom w- while you wait for the Fifth Circuit to decide whether or not what we said is yep. constitutional or not. And just to remind everyone, Alliance Defending Freedom is, um, according to the Southern Poverty Law uh, Center, a hate group. <laughs> It's designated a hate group and all the rights that we hold dear, they fight against. And so the idea that they're supposed to teach anyone anything valuable and non-biased is ridiculous. 
Not to mention, like, when they say who would it harm, it's like, how about queer people who they constantly fight against? How about people who have abortions? How about people who aren't Christian and don't believe those ideologies? It could harm a lot of people. And eight hours of that relentless indoctrination is a terrible thing. I can't imagine it's constitutional, but we'll see. Anyway, Liz, so that's the update. Here's Alyssa to drop a steaming pile of this week's news on you. Thank you, friends, and welcome back to the steaming news dump. Yeah, we've been holding in a lot of shit over the break, so we're happy to finally be able to release all of this from the bowels of the patriarchy. Let's start over in Kansas, where an anti-abortion organization run by former rep and current homophobe Tim Hulskamp has been granted $2 million to develop a statewide program to convince people not to get abortions despite voters overwhelmingly supporting abortion access in a ballot initiative in 2022. Like anti-abortion hemorrhoids always say, if at first you don't succeed, just pretend like you did and do what you want anyway. Hey, Kansas extremists, for the zillionth time, you cannot spend millions on a campaign of lies that no one asked for, especially when minding your own business is free. Speaking of states which have constitutionally protected abortion that are full of ass butts who want that to change, Montana lawmakers are duking it out with Kansas for the top spot and doing the absolute most to eliminate abortion in their state. Montana's state constitution has very strong protections for abortion, but that won't deter these scrappy misogynists from attempting to eliminate all abortion clinics by instituting licensing requirements designed to be almost impossible to comply with. Turns out that's not popular with everyone. (laughs) And now their oppressive little asses are getting sued. So what's next for these tone-deaf politicians? Imposing a literacy test to access Pornhub? And finally, pow! Not like the comic book sound effect. Like the clinic-blocking, fetus-stealing, anti-abortion group, POW. Lauren Handy, who's the director of POW, which stands for Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, who was on trial for barricading a clinic and keeping people from getting their necessary health care, was found guilty of violating the FACE Act by forcing herself into the clinic and using chains and ropes to block patients from accessing care. She could face up to 11 years of jail time and a fine of up to $350,000. We Love to see extremist groups like POW fuck around and find out that when you sow a bunch of crap, you reap a bunch of shit. That's been your steaming news dump. Back to yous. First of all, yay. I love that we always throw in fetus stealing. So for those of you that wonder why we always say fetus stealing, um, aside from bursting into clinics, uh, Lauren Handy and her friend, partner, cohort, co-founder, I guess, uh, Teresa Bukanovic or Bukanovic, however you say it, also stole 115 fetuses. They say they found them just rando, like they fell off a turnip truck. They said they found them outside of a clinic, but you know, as they, as they lay around, you know what I mean? And stored them in their apartment in their freezer and then passed them around to their anti-abortion friends to do unboxing videos. They've also been investigated for that. And we have all been wondering like, What the hell happened to the, how do you just get to steal fetuses? And then is there an investigation? So a new story popped up this week where they were mad that they weren't investigating the clinic for just doing abortions. And it was revealed that they were like, we're not investigating the clinic. The clinic's doing work. That's fine. We're actually looking into you, you creepy ghouls for how the hell you got 115 fetuses. And they were like, oh, whoops. How and why would you want 115 fetuses? Like, I mean, why would you want one? 
<laughs> and they say we're creepy. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. They named them. They had a press conference for them. They baptized ones that may not be Christian. I mean, is medical waste anything? No. Yeah, the whole thing seems odd. Uh, and also they're appealing this ruling that Alyssa just talked about because they said that the face violations should no longer count because Roe v. Wade is overturned and the laws should be turned over to the state and they should be prosecuted by the laws of the state. And I'm like, you were in D.C., bitch. A, right. learn <laughs> civics. <laughs> and B, C.A. <laughs> really? <laughs> D.C. Now, do you want, are we talking about D.C. statehood here? Because I'm all for it. Right. I'm here for statehood. Are we, are we doing that? <laughs> yeah. So as this fetal remains... Stolen fetuses, ghoulish trial, uh, or investigation comes to a head. Don't worry, we'll be keeping you posted on all of that. Um, Alyssa, thank you. Thank you, Alyssa. Thanks. Amazing. Now let's get to our favorite stories of the week. I'll go first. Yay, go first. Viva la Mexico. Viva la abortion. Viva la aborto. Aborto. I don't speak Spanish, so I probably sound like a racist. <laughs> all I want to say is there's a round of Mifaritas. On us because Give me one Mifaridi. I'm a put okay. Sorry, I'm sorry. One, oh my, one Mifarita. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, as Moji billboarded earlier in the show, Mexico's Supreme Court threw out all federal criminal penalties for abortion on Wednesday, ruling that the national laws prohibiting the procedure are unconstitutional and violate women's rights in a sweeping decision that extended Latin America's trend of widening abortion access. Now, this is pretty cool because this has been like a slow roll for Mexico. The move towards decriminalization uh, began in 2007 when Mexico City passed the country's first abortion decriminalization law. And then it took 12 years for a second state, Oaxaca, to follow. So while process seemed slow, 10 more states have decriminalized abortion in the last three years. And watching that happen, the Mexican Supreme Court said, you want to know what? We're just going to remove all these criminal penalties from the federal penal code. And so this is where we are. Moji, you want to give us the highlights? Oh, this is really exciting. So there's still 20 or more Mexican states that have not decriminalized abortion. But again, these judges will have to abide by the court's decision. Um, And so a little more legal work will have to do to remove all penalties, but this is a strong step forward. And this also means that federal public health service and all federal health institutions will be required to offer abortion to anyone who requests it. This is really exciting seeing North America moving forward while this part of North America we live in just stepping back. It's true. And, you know, it's interesting to see like how this is going to affect Mexican folks seeking abortion care because we always talk about pregnancy stats in the U.S., but like, I think you've got some pregnancy stats about what's going on in Mexico in in pregnancy outcomes and stuff. Well, um, 58 of every 1,000 girls uh, aged 15 and 19 gave birth in Mexico. That's a lot. That is so many. And I think this is going to help those young pregnant folks make decisions that are better for their lives, you know? Yes. And at least if they choose to give birth because they want to, because it's what they think is best for them and not because they have no other options. That's right. And that's all we want with abortion access, right? For people to just be able to determine for themselves. Um, 2015 to 2019, there were uh, a total of 3,830,000 pregnancies annually. And of these, over 2 million were unintended and a little over 1 million ended in abortion. But 
those may have been people really trying to figure out their abortion. I mean, one of the things about Mexico is that they've been one of the vanguards in finding ways to use miso to effectively end abortion when it was illegal. And also, like, I guess when I hear that stat, it's like if there was two million uh, pregnancies that were unintended and only one million of them ended in abortion, um, how many of that other million were people who willingly decided to deliver? Because we don't know. We know that they resulted in births. We don't know that they resulted in parenting and we don't know that they resulted in anything, you know? And so that when half of unintended pregnancies, it makes me feel like this could open up the gate for, again, people to say, I'm excited about my unintended pregnancy or I'm going to have access to abortion. And choose, again, just choosing powerfully, whatever works for them. I feel like this is just so much bigger than Mexico. It's 40 million people in Mexico who will be free to access care. But regionally, it's going to make a world of difference. Um, And this really follows great trends happening in Latin America. You know, Argentina and Colombia have also decriminalized um, abortion recently in like the last year or two. Mm -hmm. And to safeguard people's health and rights. And that's really exciting. But then there are other parts in Central America where it's not going so well. Uh, Talk about Guatemala, Liz. Yeah. And so Guatemala is right on the sort of southeastern border of Mexico. And Guatemala has a scary garbage president. And just like right now, they have a near total abortion ban with only an exception for um, life of the pregnant person. And then if for any other reason, if you have an abortion, there's a three-year jail term. Now, what's really weird is in 2022, this president and their legislature really pushed hard for this horrible law, expanding the criminal penalties for abortion and also for same-sex marriage. And under this new law that passed the le- the legislature with like near 100% support would have said that Guatemalan women that were convicted of terminating their pregnancies would have their sentencing increased to 10 years rather than three and even heavier fines, fines and penalties for the doctors and anyone who assisted people ending their pregnancies. And this is what's wild. Even though the president really pushed for this, when it finally got passed and it landed at his desk, he like pulled a 180. There was so much international pressure that said this is violating international human rights laws and their own constitution. And so they shelved it. They didn't, he didn't veto it. He shelved it. So that's kind of weirdly looming. So it feels like this is going to be a safe haven for the Guatemalans who might be seeking care as well as other people who are not only in Latin America, but also in South America in other countries where abortion has not been expanded. I also want to remind people that when we talk about criminalizing abortion in this way, the people who get swept up in this are people who are experiencing miscarriage. Mm -hmm. A lot of times aren't even people who are intentionally trying to end pregnancies. It basically is every pregnancy becomes a potential crime scene. And it also just always affects the, you know, the most vulnerable, the poorest folks. And so I feel like opening up this for, you know, In Mexico, there's around 40 million people of reproductive age. And so to widen this out so that it's not a pilgrimage to Mexico City, so that there can be abortion pills um, available to folks, even the federal programs that provide health care in Mexico will have to provide abortion care is truly astounding. And, you know, the repro groups in Mexico, in Chihuahua and in other, other states within Mexico, they've already been helping 
American women who have been an American people seeking pregnancy near the border, along the Texas border, um, helping them access and self-manage abortion Mm -hmm. through mail order pills and stuff like that. And so it's going to continue to be a place for vulnerable Americans to go now and seek care. One thing I hope that doesn't happen is that Americans flooding also then all of a sudden are taking away the the time-sensitive care from the folks in Mexico. I worry about that. I think that this news is so new. It just came this week that there's going to be, I think we're going to just have to keep following and see exactly how this unfolds. Yeah. I think actual policies haven't been rolled out in a way that are right. uh, substantial in ways that we can really look at. But I do think that especially as access is dwindling in, in the United States, it's really exciting to know that our neighbors to the South and the North are um, places we can go to if we need to. I mean, we should be able to get access in our states, but it's nice to know that there's broadening access around us. It's exciting. And also, you know, I don't mean to be Nancy negative, but like anytime, you know, abortion opens a door, uh, the anti-abortion forces are lurking around, trying to close a window. And a story we're going to be talking about next week is, you know, this highway law that's in Texas where they're trying to say you can't take highways to access care. You know, what will that mean for going to the border? What will border checks right. look like? You know, these are the things that we'll be following, the questions that we'll be asking, you know, what other shenanigans? Exactly. Are they going to say you have to take a pregnancy test before you leave the U.S.? Exactly going to say that. TSA pregnancy tests. So what is, where Where are we with that? <laughs> exactly. Where are we with that? You know, is if, if there's something good, there will be horrible people lurking around trying to ruin our fun for sure. Speaking of horrible people trying to ruin our fun, can we move to Ohio? Oh my God, please. <laughs> Ohio has been so great in trying to uh, change their constitution to protect abortion access, though. Activists in Ohio have been tireless. And every time abortion makes it into the ballot, abortion wins. But Ohio keeps pushing back. So, you know, they fought. They got this ballot measure passed. There was a le- there was a, a lawsuit against it. They had a illegitimate August special election to to dilute the ballot um, initiative's effectiveness. That didn't work. And so now the Ohio conservatives are trying to just lie on the actual ballot. So what they're lying about, it isn't the content. The actual content of the ballot measure is unchanged. But they're just trying to make sure that on the ballot that people see when they come to vote just has a lot of misleading information on it. So they're trying to like the cover letter for the voter, they've they're trying to insert some garbage in so that it taints you. Exactly. Is that, is that what you're yeah. saying? What they're saying is basically if you're a doctor and you have a resume, but you make a cover letter that looks like you're a lawyer, that's what they're doing. <laughs> oh my God. So on the ballot initiative, it's about abortion and it's also about um miscarriage management, it's about access to birth control. It's about it's about enshrining reproductive freedom in Ohio, right? Yes. And so how have they, what, how did they taint the uh, cover letter? So again, broadly, like you said, it covers uh, fertility support, fertility treatments, uh, uh, contraceptive access, miscarriage management, and the decision to carry on a a pregnancy to term or not within um, viability. It still uses sort of the framework of viability that Roe has. And basically they've kind of changed it to put the words unborn child into Mm. anywhere fetus had been. And they also were saying they removed any of the, the words about viability. So they say it's essentially like abortion up to the minute of birth. And it's like, well, that's 
that's not what the, that's not what it says. <laughs> that's not what oh it says. my God. And so again, this is just the summary. And unfortunately the summary is what voters are going to see before they pull the, the lever on whether they're going to support this amendment or not. And so it's really misleading for anyone who is not breathlessly following it like us to kind of know when you just show up. And I know that if I showed up in a ballot box and I saw something that had unborn child in it, I would probably vote against it because that sounds like crazy anti-abortion rhetoric. So Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights have filed a lawsuit contesting the summary and hopefully they can get it passed in time. And the whole bill is like three pages long. One can read it in a in five minutes if you're a fast reader like me, 10 minutes if you want to look at each word very slowly. Uh, and get it done. And that's actually what they're asking for. Just put the whole ballot initiative there. Assume that voters are smart enough to read basic English, which is what it's written in. It's not written in legalese. So this is it's annoying. It's annoying hiccup in the road to restored abortion rights in um, Ohio. And also, just to touch on it really quickly, while we're waiting for the ballot initiative to most likely pass, the Ohio Supreme Court is going to have to look at a six-week abortion ban that's been proposed. And so we don't even know. There might be an interim six-week abortion ban in Ohio. Ohio's a shit show. That's all I got to say about it. It's a shit show. I feel like by December, it'll be resolved. It will be fine. I mean, I hate making predictions, but it sure feels like if the Ohio Supreme Court is hearing a six-week ban argument on September 27th, that they may hold off on their decision until after the election just to see how the people, I mean, but what do I know? But it just seems like, why would you put a law into effect and disrupt shit um, just to have it the law be overturned by the people six weeks later? Liz, it sounds like you haven't been paying attention to the state of abortion in this country right now. I, but, know, uh, I, I know. I love your optimism. Oh, how how cute. <laughs> it is cute. You know what? Here's where I'm not optimistic about our next story. Florida. Speaking of Supreme Courts that are trash. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> because Florida is just next level. Uh, Florida Supreme Court heard arguments on whether their 15-week abortion ban violates their state's constitutional right to privacy, which was established by a unanimous Florida Supreme Court back in 1989. Well, the court has changed a lot since 1999, when ironically, Bobby Brown's My Prerogative topped the charts. It's my prerogative. That's right. And as five of the current justices have indicated when it comes to bodily autonomy, it's their prerogative. And the ramifications of them ruling against abortion protections could be super devastating. So what are they ruling? They are ruling on whether or not this 15-week ban is unconstitutional based on the privacy. If they say, um, no, you can have a 15-week ban, what that means is they've also voted in a six-week ban. And so what that means is the six-week ban, there will be a 30-day period and the six-week ban will kick into effect. And that is some really scary bullshit considering what's happened in the past few years in the South and where we are at. Moj, you want to talk a little bit about if Florida goes to a six-week ban, tell folks what that means for sort of the Florida and for the region. So as we know, abortion access has been decimated in the South, and Florida is one of the places people can go to get something akin to abortion care. Obviously, a six-week ban is not helpful for anyone. Um, few people know that they're pregnant at that point. And so if this 15-week ban is found constitutional that then reverts to a six-week ban, it's just further that people are going to have to go to get abortion care who live in the South. Right. And just, just to give you an idea, Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia 
either a six week or a total ban. Um, the 30% of the people from those states are are currently flooding to Florida for care. This will be the first time that Floridians will have to go someplace else. And so where is that someplace else? Well, right now it's pretty scary. If it goes to a six-week ban, the closest places that anybody in the region, but if you think about somebody in the Florida Keys and what that travel is like, uh, they'll have to go to Illinois, Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Virginia's on a precipice right now. Um, North Carolina has a 12-week ban, so you're trying to scramble it around. Um, they don't even list North Carolina as a place anymore because who knows you know, how that's going to play out. But it's um, it's really a haven, and and it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for how it's going to go because the justices have flipped, and it is a very conservative Supreme Court. Uh, the current Supreme Court justice now was general counsel under Betsy DeVos when she was at the Department of Education, oh, appointed by Trump, spent three years as chief of staff for Pam Bondi, who, if you all remember Pam Bondi, she's the one who was the AG of Florida who came out guns ablazing against same-sex marriage with all sorts of anti-Muslim rhetoric. The Trump Foundation made illegal donations to her campaign, and he worked for Marco Rubio as his deputy chief of staff. Yikes. Uh, yeah. Another one of them is a is a woman named Jamie Grossens, who was a Blackstone Fellow. And if you don't know what the Blackstone Fellowship is, it's uh, this intern and summer training program for Christian law students that's been developed by the Alliance for Defending Freedom. Currently, 1,900 law students have gone through this program, all with the goal and intention of being one of these Christian fundamentalists legal people who just try to overturn all of the abortion stuff, all of the LGBTQ stuff, all wokeness basically is what they're working on. And then Charles Kennedy, who used to be the chief justice, and now he's just, they rotate in there. There's the chief justice piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, he's a, he was also an anti-abortion lawmaker. Fun fact about him. He kind of came into his judicial work late in life. He was in the Florida State House and then he was in Congress. He's the guy that coined the term partial birth abortion when he was in Congress. A non-medical term that anti-abortion people love to use. That has just followed us around and we just constantly have to try to like defend it. Uh, he's also one of the Clinton prosecutors. He left Congress to work for Jeb Bush and then um, Charlie Crist, who was running for governor against Ron DeSantis back in the day, who switched parties, who was the, you know, going to be our democratic savior, he appointed him. So, you know, I don't trust any of these people who laid the foundation, Charlie Crist, any of them, right? Uh, He's also the one whose wife sponsored the six-week bill, isn't he? Yes, that is exactly correct. Mm -hmm. That is the icing on that guy's bullshit. And he did not recuse himself. So a Republican has never met a conflict of interest uh, in the history of forever. Not once. It doesn't feel great uh, about this. And just a reminder, this is going to go fast. With people this staunch and people this dedicated, they're going to hear this and they want that six-week ban to get triggered pretty quickly. So I think from the hearing today until they make a ruling is going to be pretty short shrift so that they can get this thing going. And now the wild part of all of this is Florida is joining Ohio and the and the many other states who are trying to get a ballot initiative um, in 2024. And if they win, they would reverse all of this. That's such good news. It is, but Florida going to Florida. So 
here's what makes it different than other states. And that is in Florida, when you finally sign off on the language of a ballot initiative and the secretary of state signs off on it, the Supreme Court gets to weigh in. And if they don't like it, they can say, nah, this isn't going to get on the ballot. We don't think it works. Um, The other things about Florida that are awesome, they made a million signatures to get the ballot initiative and they already have in place a 60 vote threshold that Ohio just shot down. Yes. So um, there's a it's a little bit of an uphill battle, but they are going blazing on getting those signatures. I think they already have a half a million. They need a million by February. So go Florida, go. We'll put in the show notes where you can help get those signatures in Florida because that's really important. So that's the news. We'll keep you updated on what's going on in Florida and all these stories. And as a reminder, the best and most up-to-the-minute resources on accessing abortion care and funding your care is INeedAna.com. That is right. Um, So let's get to our guest, Liz. Yes, let's. This episode marks the last of two interviews that include our girl, Marie. So relish them and enjoy her amazing insights. With that said, joining us on the pod is Executive Director of the Women's Health Center of West Virginia and the brand new clinic as of this year, Women's Health Center of Maryland. The new Maryland clinic is roughly five miles from the West Virginia border and will serve patients from West Virginia as well as across Central Appalachia. Please welcome Katie Quinones. Katie, thank you for joining us. Hey, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. The last time we talked to you, your clinic, the last in West Virginia, was not doing great. You had literal hordes of protesters crowding the lot across the street, crowding the driveway to the clinic, and a very realistic-looking fake clinic right next door. Can you lay out the abortion landscape in West Virginia right now? Yes. Um, So as we all know, June 24th, our lives changed forever. The Dobbs decision came down and overturned, you know, nearly half a century of precedent. Um, Immediately in West Virginia, we had to stop providing abortion care due to an abortion ban still on our state's criminal code from the 1800s. And then we immediately filed an injunction and um, were able to secure an injunction that allowed us to provide abortion care to over 100 more patients. But Unfortunately, on September 13th, um, West Virginia lawmakers passed a sweeping total abortion ban with very narrow, quote unquote, exceptions um, for rape and incest with different age differentiations. So unfortunately, we have had to stop providing abortion care at our West Virginia clinic. We have continued to provide the wide range of other reproductive health care services that we've offered, including annual exams, breast and cervical cancer screenings, contraception, pregnancy and parenting support, STI testing and treatment. Um, and all of these services are offered on a sliding scale um, based on a patient's income and family size. Incredible. Um, One side question. Do you still have these mounds of protesters, even though you no longer provide abortion care? And did the abortion protesters ever build on that lot across the street that they were uh, threatening to build on? Um, So no, thankfully, we do not have any more anti-abortion harassers. I hate to call them protesters. (laughs) Um, But luckily, they are not harassing our patients and staff anymore. Abortion has been banned. I'm not really sure what the point of them doing that would be. They have done nothing to the vacant lot that's across the street from our building. It's 
continues to be overgrown and unused, which is really um, disappointing because we had originally tried to purchase the property so that we could expand our pregnancy and parenting support program. And now it just since vacant, not serving the community in any way. While we don't have any harassers coming to our clinic to yell at our patients and staff anymore, um, fake clinics in West Virginia have run amok. You already mentioned the one that's directly next door to us. And this past legislative session at the beginning of this year um, in West Virginia, fake clinics were able to lobby and secure $1 million in taxpayer funding to go directly to their fake clinics. Um, It's really frustrating um, because one of the restrictions to that funding is that no facility that provides any type of information for abortion care is eligible for that funding. So not only is our clinic not able to access that funding, but most actual reproductive health care facilities in West Virginia are not eligible for that funding. You know, we've watched this trend happen a lot. You know, we've seen so many states who have the harshest restrictions also have taken money that was going to help family planning, TANF, anything that would help low-income folks and swooping it into these fake clinics to Mm -hmm. somehow fake take the place of real care. And we have the Exposed Fake Clinics website where we're trying to do all of that as well. But it's massively frustrating to watch that happen. And especially when you as a clinic have even before Roe, y'all have been providing care in a state that is, it has a high poverty rate, is like mountainous. So it's like people are hard to get to and it's hard to get to you. Will you talk a little bit about, you mentioned some of the areas that you're providing care for still. How are you also expanding your care to really help the community? And also, is that enough to keep the clinic open? Are you getting enough, being able to provide enough services to keep the clinic open? Yeah, absolutely. And like just to build off that point about how little fake clinics actually do, even though they've been very successful over the past couple of years of directing taxpayer dollars into their bank accounts, you know, fake clinics have always argued that they provide resources to pregnant people. But the reality is that our clinic, As an abortion provider, we have a pregnancy and parenting support program that has continuously outpaced the fake clinic next door to us in terms of the services that it provides to the community. Um, You know, we've looked at the tax return of the fake clinic that is directly next door to us, and their own self-reporting shows that they only provided 10 pregnancy tests and 112 packages of diapers in 2020, whereas that same year we provided over 2,000 pregnancy tests and 250 cases of diapers. So it's incredibly frustrating that they still continue to get government funding. Um, in terms of the other services that we're expanding into, you know, we just launched a harm reduction program this past year. We just hired a harm reduction program coordinator. On World AIDS Day in 2021, we installed our city's second syringe disposal box at our clinic. And, you know, where our clinic is located in in Charleston, West Virginia, and Kanawha County, the CDC has called our community's HIV spread the most concerning in the nation. And West Virginia already outpaces the rest of the nation um, disproportionately in terms of opioid overdose. So, We recognize that one of the massive needs in our community is access to overdose prevention and also a place where they can safely dispose of syringes. Another service that we've expanded into is gender-affirming hormone therapy for trans and gender-diverse patients. Um, West Virginia, you know, a study that came out a few years ago showed that West Virginia leads the nation per capita in youth who identify as trans. Um, and there are very few places for any for uh, trans folks to access this life-saving, life-affirming care. 
So we we are slowly but surely growing that program and seeing more and more patients utilizing those services. We know that more healthcare is needed and more and more people need access to healthcare. So we feel confident that, and we are committed, you know, we are rooted in this community. We live here, we work here, our families and loved ones are here in this community. We're not going anywhere. If anything, we're doubling down. We're not only going to continue to provide the services that we've provided for decades and that our community depends on us for, but we're only going to continue to talk to the community members, our neighbors, ask what needs are not being met, and then we're going to figure out a way that we can step in and meet that need. I'm excited for what West Virginians are able to have with y'all. How has the community been responding back to you? Especially because, I mean, they've seen what's happened. They saw Dobbs. They saw subsequent things. They've seen where y'all are at now. Our community has been incredible. There was an outpouring of both outrage and support the day that the Dobbs decision came down. Um, On June 24th of last year, it was actually our clinic's first gala in 15 years. And it happened to fall on the day that the Dobbs decision came down. And we still had a huge turnout. It was, you know, an opportunity for everyone to not only mourn the loss of of Roe and the Dobbs decision, but also kind of get out a little bit of rage and support us even even more. Um, So we've seen an outpouring of support in terms of donations, in terms of interest in volunteering, interest in working at our clinic, um, and interest in expanding our programs. You know, our community, the people who actually live and work here are very supportive of our clinic and want us to be here. Unfortunately, there are just a few legislators that are primarily bigoted old white men who don't want to see our clinic here providing services to our community. This week, we've been reading a lot about clinics like yours and in Alabama, where basically abortion is banned, but clinics exist to continue to provide kind of care that either people cannot get or don't trust from a hospital that may turn them over to the police for, you know, for not reasons, right? And in Alabama, it seemed like they're actually really struggling. But do you find your model to sort of keep your clinic open is sustainable, that the community support and everything is enough to kind of give you some security as obviously a place for care, but also a place of business? Yeah. So, you know, we're not only an independent clinic, um, we are a nonprofit clinic. And what that means is that we are not motivated by a bottom line. We are motivated by the health and wellness of our community. So we have the opportunity to see philanthropic investments, not only from donations, from the folks who live here and support us and utilize our services. But I mean, overwhelmingly, we know that People want access to abortion care, whether it's in their home state or whether it's beyond their their state borders if they're living in a state where abortion is protected. So we continue to see grant funding for us to expand our services um, and even open a clinic across state lines. About that. Talk about that. Yes. So Women's Health Center of Maryland opened in the summer of 2023. And yeah, we have received overwhelming community support um, from the Western Maryland community. The clinic is located about five miles away from the West Virginia border in Western Maryland, um, which actually the locals refer to as Mountain Maryland. And we were, at the time that we decided that the leadership of Women's Health Center of West Virginia decided that we should open a clinic in Maryland, you know, we looked at which states nearest to West Virginia looked like they were moving in the direction of enshrining abortion access into their state state's constitution. And Maryland was at the top of the list and we happened to share a border. So it felt like a duty as the clinic that had been in West Virginia fighting until the bitter end, um, holding the line 
it felt like a duty to open a clinic that would be able to not just provide abortion care to West Virginians, um, but also provide abortion and full scope reproductive health care to Mountain Marylanders. Um, you know, looking at the community and talking to folks on the ground, you know, we talked to faith leaders, educators, other healthcare clinics, um, hospitals, folks who were working and advocating in the areas of racial justice, intimate partner violence, LGBTQIA plus um, rights, reproductive rights. All of them share the same sentiment that reproductive health care is not existent really in Mountain Maryland. So we're hoping to not only meet the needs of folks who need abortion care, but also folks who need everyday routine reproductive health care, like annual exams, contraception, and STI testing and treatment. So it's very exciting. We um, we purchased a building that had already been a primary care facility um, and that you can literally see the West Virginia mountains from its backyard. This is really, really exciting. <laughs> Can you tell us just a little bit of some of the unexpected challenges in um, opening a new abortion clinic? Because I feel like one of the fears we've always had is that once a clinic closes, they rarely are replaced. And obviously in the post-dops landscape, we need more of that. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think it goes without saying that opening a new clinic that is three and a half hours away has been no easy feat whatsoever, um, but I'm really lucky to work alongside some super brilliant and committed, hardworking folks on our team that are helping make it possible. You know, the hardest part was definitely coordinating the logistics of renovating the existing clinic. Thankfully, it was already a healthcare facility, but, you know, abortion care has specific needs in terms of what the procedure rooms are like and needs a recovery room and also, you know, because abortion providers have a constant target on our backs that other healthcare providers don't necessarily have, we really had to um, overhaul the security. Additionally, some a few loud um, locals um, have harassed some of our vendors whenever they've seen their company or business vehicles in our parking lot and tried to dissuade them from working with us. Luckily, we didn't run into any dropping us as a client. Um, but that's those are things that abortion providers unfortunately have to deal with whenever we're setting up a new clinic or even just existing in our everyday lives. What do you wish, especially the public would know, Katie, or at least understood about supporting a new clinic coming into your area? You mentioned that y'all are nonprofits. And how can we specifically support your work too? organizations like AAF? Yeah. What I want the public to know is first, like, I want to speak about the values of our clinic. So first we're, you know, we're independent. So independent clinics like ours are the ones that were prior to the Dobbs decision and still after the Dobbs decision are continuing to provide the vast majority of abortion care in this country. However, we're closing in droves because of statewide abortion bans and because we don't have access to the robust funding networks that nationally affiliated organizations do. You know, and as a nonprofit, we're not driven by profit like other healthcare entities. We're driven by community health and wellness outcomes. And that means we will depend on community support from grants and donations to keep our services accessible and our doors open. Uh, so Women's Health Center of Maryland will be operating an abortion fund that will help Marylanders and West Virginians alike um, pay for their procedure costs. Oftentimes with patients paying $0 for the abortion care that they receive, we're oftentimes um, able to cover 100% of that care. And we're working with a robust network because no one does this work alone. Our gynecological services at Women's Health Center of Maryland will be offered on a sliding scale based on patient income and family size. 
And again, all of that requires community investment. So we need donations, we need grants, we need folks who are interested in volunteering, whether it be as clinic escorts, whether it be as receptionists. Um, you know, we are grateful to plant roots in Mountain Maryland, and we look forward to working with the folks on the ground to deliver quality and compassionate healthcare that everyone deserves. And we need sustained support to make that happen. And a reminder, what you said, Katie, about independent clinics, it's it's critical. I know your clinic in Maryland, the next closest one is, is over 90 miles away and it provides medication support. So you all being able to provide that surgical piece, you're, yeah. you're, you're literally filling an empty spot. Yeah. So I'm so glad y'all are there and people need to support clinics like yours that are, that are getting to emerge in a time where it's been a lot of just resources drying up. Yeah, absolutely. Bree, I love you for that. And I just want to echo that because I think a lot of our listeners really need to understand that sometimes we've seen people go into communities that already are being served. And so to say, here is a population of people who need us and we're going to go here and we're going to grow here. And we know we're going to take um, the lumps and have to do it. Thank you for landing there. It's important. I do have one more question of just surrounding the dynamics of the clinic, Katie. Are you all worried about harassers there? Are you going to think you're going to need escorts? What's kind of the layout that abortion seekers will be greeted with? Yeah. So the really great thing about this clinic um, in Maryland is that it is in a rural area. So it's, it's also going to be a rural healthcare center. It is located on a highway. So we're surrounded by this big, large parking lot on all sides of our building. Um, we're up against the top of a mountain that just kind of drops off. So there's nowhere for protesters to stand behind our building. And then there's no sidewalk and there's no shoulder. Um, you know, protesters would literally have to stand on a highway and potentially get hit by a semi truck if they wanted to protest at our clinic, in which case, by all means, it's their body, their choice. Um, but yeah, so it's a much different situation than uh, the Charleston, West Virginia clinic has faced with having being directly on a sidewalk. Beautiful. That's so incredible. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. It's so exciting to hear about your new clinic and all of the great work you're doing in Mountain, Maryland and West Virginia. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Donate to the Maryland and West Virginia clinics and follow them on social media at Women's Health WV and at Women's Health MMD. And check our show notes for a database of clinics that provide non-judgmental reproductive care outside of abortion care. Liz, I know you've been out of practice, but are you ready to play the party game that is faster than Monopoly and more fun than Taboo? I don't know. I guess I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Six Degrees of Abortion. And this is when I take a story from the news and you have six chances to link it to abortion. Let's see if I can stump you this week. I like that you just explained it to me. I mean, maybe you <laughs> forgot. It's been a long vacation. I'm just saying. It's it's I don't true. know what you've been doing for the last few weeks. I just wanted to bring you back up. Not paying attention to pop culture. So you, this could be a winning. This could be a win for you. Oh, I think this one you might know. Um, so there's going to be an exclusion in this. And that is you cannot um, link one of our former colleagues to the story. Have you heard of Burning Man? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Were you aware that this last week in Burning Man, they had a flood out? It was crazy, mud everywhere. Um, and two notable people, uh, Diplo and Chris Rock, documented their trek through the mud to a truck, to a private jet, 
<laughs> oh, that sounds like a saga. <laughs> what a document! It should saga. be a documentary. <laughs> Apparently, Diplo says that uh, Chris Walk was thinking maybe that they were going to resort to cannibalism at Blackrock, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious anyway. And so you cannot link our colleague, but I would like you to link uh, Diplo or Chris Rock to abortion. Uh, well, um, Chris Rock and I used to work every every Saturday night at the comic strip together. Fucking so. knew it. I was like, Chris Rock is too easy. Chris Rock is too easy. All right, I'm going to step back and you have to do Diplo. I mean, I you know, it was just like I, I was a, the regular MC at the comic strip for many years. And uh and, you know, Chris Rock was there a whole shit ton. So okay, try Diplo. Do Diplo. Just to, just to, just to. No, you, I, you can't change the rules to make it harder for me. I'm playing by your rules. I gave you options. <laughs> okay, I'm the winner. I did it in one. You it did it like in one. I can't get the Wordle in one, but I did do uh, six degrees in one. I got stumped in a Wordle this week. The one that was um, Nash. Did you get that one? Yes. It was like three days ago. I did not get it. I've only missed two <laughs> wordles in the history of me. Doing oh my gosh. I did not get Nash. Yeah. I was really disturbed. I'm sorry. Myself. I'm sorry. We have to move on to our next guest. We've been blabbing. Sorry. A long show. <laughs> you know, I'll help you with the word. I'll give you some wordle tips if you want, because I'm pretty good at it. Anyway, our next guest I'm very excited about. Like most stand-ups working today, Emma Arnold is a comedian and a beekeeper living in Idaho. Before she joins us, let's take a listen to what she's been talking about with her audiences. I think honestly, I think where we started to really fall apart as a country was um, it was when we started letting people like make their own bumper stickers. <laughs> like it used to be that if you wanted a bumper sticker, you had to go to like Spencer's in the mall and you had to pick out something we as a society had all vetted. Something we all we were all like, yeah, we, some of us agree with that. Enough of us do that it's on a bumper sticker. Like, cowboy butts drive me nuts. You know, like, we were all like, yeah, yeah, throw, you know what? Throw that on there. They drive me nuts, too. Now you can just go to, like, a county fair and be like, I want one that says, don't get the jab, Biden's lizard, and also Dr. Fauci fucked my mom. Like, you can just put whatever you want. I saw that in Idaho. That's a real bumper sticker. Somebody fucked this guy's mom and uh, looked like Dr. Fauci, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> that, that is hilarious. Please welcome Emma Arnold. Hey, Emma. Hi. Hi. Hi, Emma. <laughs> hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Ooh. Oh, my God. We're so excited because we have been watching your 75,000 specials <laughs> and you have some big intersectional feminist energy. And oh, I thank just you. want to say that we love it so much. And in fact, you are the first beekeeping, turf slaying, pro-abortion comedian who's a mother of three that we have had on the podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's shocking. There's so many of us. I though. know. <laughs> it's a first. We're very excited. So um, that's a lot of doings. What's your favorite of all of those things? And then how do you balance your life with all of that going on? Ooh, well, okay. Probably my favorite thing, and this is so sad, honestly, and kind of gross, parenting. I just love it. I really love being a mom. Um, I became a mom very young. My kids are 20, 18, and 15 now. And uh, I always knew I wanted kids. I love kids. Uh, I was a camp counselor. I was a nanny. And I just have really enjoyed it. And now I'm like into this different phase where like my kids are adults. And it's so 
I mean, I I had a, a brief moment where I really mourned, like not having little kids anymore, not having like babies. But then now it's like, we're in this incredible new phase where like, I have these grown up cool humans who I have so much in common with and we're really, really close and we, we hang out a lot. And I just, and like, they're starting to, uh, you know, be more independent and have their own lives. And it's just this cool new chapter. And I'm really like, really enjoying, uh, being a mom, but not having to do everything. <laughs> all the you time. know, it's against the law to say you love children. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. It like it's a good, the right to, the, the pro-life people will say you can't love children. Yeah. It's yeah. You can't, you can't say that. You can't and, love. and mothering, how dare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're also going to have to talk to me about this brave new world of adult people in your house. Cause I have a seven-year-old and that's still a lot of labor involved in that. Yeah. You are clearly fantastic and dynamic. What besides loving mothering is the most basic thing about you? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so basic. Uh, I was actually embarrassed to tell you this. Okay, uh, but you know what? I feel like it's it's one of those things. Like when white people are appropriating uh, other cultures, it's always like, "Hey, stick to your lane." And this is me sticking to my lane. Love a pumpkin spice latte. Fucking wow, love a pumpkin spice. You went full white lady. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you went to the basic gold standard. Adore it. Um, and my husband, he has like he, he, maybe because he was embarrassed of how much I love them, has elevated this. He grows pumpkins all summer long, and then he bakes them and um, scoops them out and then freezes the pumpkin. And he makes me homemade. I have a homemade pumpkin spice latte every single day. Artisanal pumpkin spice latte <laughs> yeah. might be the most white lady thing I've ever heard. And I love yes. that for you. Yes. I am so, so happy Thank for you. you. You have that on a pillow because that would peek it out. Like that would like literally shove Live, it in. Live, laugh, pumpkin bread. spice love. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's very basic. <laughs> so I grew up in Wisconsin and my uncle whose past was a beekeeper. So I honed it on the fact you're a third generation beekeeper. Do you actively have beehives? Yeah. I'm curious. Tell us a fun fact. Because right now I'm imagining these beehives um, pollinating this pumpkin patch that your husband <laughs> is lovingly tending for you. They do. Yes, they absolutely are great for that. Um, I am third generation. A fun fact about bees is a queen uh, does this thing called a virgin flight. They actually only mate one time in their lifetime, basically. They will go out when they first emerge. They will go and they will fly to these uh, sections in the sky where all the male bees, the drones hang out waiting to impregnate a queen. And when they will mate with like seven to fifth, like six to 15 different drones. And when they mate, they essentially, when a, a male bee ejaculates, it rips out all of their organs and they die and fall to the ground. And then the queen will murder slash mate with like 10 more. And she gets all the semen in her entire lifetime in that one virgin flight. And then she, she basically has a receptacle where she holds all of the sperm for the rest of her life. So yeah, that's my fun And builds a whole damn hive out of that. And she, and she will lay a million, a million and a half eggs in her lifetime, usually about a 1500 to 3000 a day eggs in her lifetime, if she's a healthy queen. So yeah, uh, bees are so fascinating. I literally have been on podcasts where I'm like, just stop me when you're done talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. bees. Because <laughs> I can what really go on What is this nirvana forever. you speak of? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, I could get back to fucking some dudes. Yeah. If this was the uh, end result. <laughs> I mean, I like, I'm just now, I feel like I need to step back from this podcast and have a complete, like, just 
taking in all that information. I don't know how I can go on, but I'm going to try. <laughs> you could murder fuck is what you could do. And it would still be like, nope, they, they asked for it. Sorry. They literally wanted to have sex yeah. with me. If yeah. the queen bee plays murder, fuck, kill, it's like all of them. It's just That's like, the game. <laughs> murder, fuck, kill is a new version of that. I thought it was marry, fuck, kill, but not in this. Oh, is murder, world. fuck, kill. <laughs> murder, murder, kill, murder. <laughs> so here's the thing. You grew up and live in Idaho. And that's a twofer. You got the hotbed of anti-abortion extremism and the cradle of white supremacy. But as we know, and as our listeners know, from the work we do at AAF, because we travel around the country and work with the dopest people in places that have such pockets of awfulness, that I'm just always curious as to how you find your hive stop me (laughs) you know in a sea of places where you're just like fighting against oppression all the time how do you find like all the dope people all the cool activists all the shit that's going on how are you finding that safely well you know uh, abortion access has been something I've been involved with uh, since I was a teenager. I was always really passionate about it. My family is very progressive. My family was very passionate about it. I was raised by a bunch of hippies and lesbians. So uh, I was, you know, introduced to reproductive justice. Hence the bee murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hence the bee murder. <laughs> Um, but how I was able to find it is, you know, um, there's a, an amazing uh, group here called Northwest Abortion Access Fund. They've been around forever. They've been helping see people since, you know, t- probably the early 2000s. And I happened to be in an event and I, I saw their stickers and their posters. And I was like, what, 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 what is this? And I partnered with them um, for different albums. Uh, they were always at my album release shows. I always tried to make sure people knew about them. And yeah, I mean, you kind of find each other. It is really tough. Idaho is a hard place to live. Uh, I, I I moved away for about 10 years and moved back to raise my kids here. And it it's hard. It's a, it's a difficult place to live and a demoralizing place to live. But I try to remember that like people still need that care. People still need that access. And so, yeah, moving away is a very tantalizing idea a lot of times, but like those people, people are stuck here and they still need that care. So, uh, you know, luckily we have amazing groups that I have been able to, you know, be a part of and join. I, you know, I'm not, I definitely never started anything. Uh, there were just people here doing the work. And if you look around, you can find them. I think we can't surrender every space to like the assholes. Like we got to kind of plant our flags and be like, y'all can't rule all the stuff. Yeah. You entered comedy as an adult, um, specifically an adult with children, which is wild, like three, I can't, (laughs) and no silver spoons. How did you make the decision, like, comedy was the way forward? Well, you know, I got married very young. I never had uh, a career. I was a stay-at-home mom, and um, I moved back to Idaho and went through this very messy, horrible divorce, and I had no job experience, no education, no prospects. Uh, But I I had been writing for a long time and I had just started doing open mics. And I literally just was like, uh, my ex took off. I had no money. I had no way to support my kids. He kind of just disappeared in the beginning. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I'm just, I guess I'll just do comedy because people were like, you're good at this. You should do this. And I had nothing else. (laughs) I just (laughs) didn't know what else to do. And, you know, honestly, I, poverty is a good motivator. I never did it as a hobby. It was never something that was like, oh, this will be fun on, you know, Fridays or something. Like I literally from the very beginning was like, okay, how do I make this into a career? 
And, you know, uh, certainly there were plenty of missteps along the way, but I did have a moment after this latest album came out where I was like, oh my gosh, I did that. (laughs) I did it. Like I was able to do that. I was able to support three kids uh, strictly on comedy for about a decade. And that's an incredible accomplishment. So uh, it was a divorce is my answer. It was a really messy divorce. And I had no, I, I didn't know what a bad idea it was at the time, luckily. So it worked out, but I worked very hard too. I feel like your joy in sort of um, like really figuring it out was palpable in the recent album, which I loved. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it feels incredible to get older and to get to a place where I feel confident in my abilities and I feel joyful and I, I've been able to step back from a lot of the things in the industry, men that make me, that I hate, <laughs> you know, and there were a lot of things I suffered through in the beginning of my comedy career, which now I just wouldn't put up with, you know, that I have been like, oh, I, I'm a human being. I don't have to deal with that shit. So yeah, this album feels really joyful. I'm really glad that we are finally talking about the album because this is your fifth one. Yes. And our listeners, you can find it on your YouTube. It's entitled Myself. You have a veritable Torah Pentateuch now of comedy under your belt. What kind of topics did you did you come to to tackle in in this version of yourself that we're getting to see? I think that, you know, this was one of the first times I think I approached comedy um, from a place of fun. I'm not I'm an oldest daughter of an alcoholic. I'm not fun. I'm not a fun person. (laughs) I'm very organized and very driven, uh, but I finally had kind of gotten to a place in my life where like, uh, I have this day job. I I work for CityCast Boise. I have a journalism job and I was able to kind of take a little step back from comedy and be like, take a breath and be like, what do I want from this? And I was able to approach this hour with a lot more like enjoyment, which normally I was really like, you know, just, just looking at my feet and nose to the grindstone and just trying to get stuff done. And I was able to kind of be like, what do, what do I, like, I knew what crowds like, but I was kind of more like, what do, what am I enjoying? And I don't think the material is probably that much different in some ways. Like I talk about kids, I talk about sex, I talk about hating the cops, you know, it's all stuff I've kind of, you know, it's none of it's new territory, I suppose. But I think the difference is I just have a lot more fun doing comedy now. Ah, uh, the trifecta, kids, cops, sex. <laughs> Hating cops comedy. Yes. (laughs) It's true. And, you know, we can't let you go without talking about your album, Abortion, Abortion, Abortion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're on the abortion podcast. And also because we are aggressively pro abortion on this podcast, we, I think we've said pro choice maybe twice and it was like it slipped out by accident. And so I, I love. That you are so abortion forward. So, and and we love to ask people the the question when people come out and start talking about abortion or just being like very confident in their conversations around it. Like, what is your favorite good response? And then what is your like, oh my God. And then this person came after me this way when you started talking about abortion, because the stories really get good. Oh my gosh. I am so glad you asked me this because I actually was planning to tell you this after. When that album came out, it was uh, very lovingly reviewed by you know a lot of people. And I got a lot of really positive and amazing feedback. And uh, people loved the title. I thought there was going to be all this pushback in Idaho against it. People loved it. They thought it was super funny. They thought it was, you know, cool that I was talking about it. But I had one review from a male reviewer who said that 
abortion. Uh, and this, that album came out in, I should know this probably 2017, but 19. I can't 19, 19. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> it came out in 2019. I'm, I'm your um, discographer now. I'm... <laughs> I really, really appreciate that. But um, uh, this male reviewer in 2019 was like, said that there was no reason to be talking about abortion and that it was a done deal. And that I was treading ground that had been well-tread and was boring to the average listener and that abortion had been done to death. And he would, like the whole review was so eye rolly and it was like the fight is over stop being ridiculous i'm so tired of women acting like this is still an issue roe v wade is settled and done and then when roe v wade got in, uh overturned i was like should i send him his review like <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. back to him and be like petty with oh, a purpose hi. yes yeah <laughs> it, it made me so mad before roe v wade was overturned but i just you know when the decision before it happened but when it was leaked I was at a comedy show in Denver. I was reading it. I was shaking before I went on stage. I went on stage. I, I was doing this show where I thought I was headlining. Then when I got there, they were like, oh, the, they were having this dude headline. And I was like, I'm too fucking old for this, but whatever. Anyway, I got up. Oh, and I opened for this guy who I didn't know. And I just was like, I'm not feeling funny. I'm going to talk about abortion for 30 minutes because I'm fucking livid and I'm hurt and I'm so upset and I and I didn't try to be funny and afterward he was like wow you really bombed I was like I don't give a shit like I don't like I was like I don't want you to think I'm funny right now I I don't feel funny I'm sad I'm upset which is something you know when I was a younger comic I would have got up and been like heartbroken and been like well my kids are um fun you know but instead I was just honest and in the moment and a lot of the women and more progressive people in the crowd really appreciated that and talked to me afterward about how they literally saw the news also, right. As I was going on stage and everybody was just like shaking and so upset. So yeah, the dismissiveness of kind of like, it's settled, it's not that big of a deal. And then everything we all had been saying was going to happen, happened. Uh, And then you didn't see these waves of like, Hey, I didn't get an um, email from that guy. Like, I I fucked up. I'm sorry. That was a terrible review. I wrote a new review of my own review. <laughs> that's the apology I want is him reviewing his review. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I totally relate to that. I wrote about my abortion in my book, but it wasn't about my abortion. It was about me being 16 and ending up at one of those fake clinics and having somebody torture the shit out of oh. me because my abortion took five minutes and and that's not the story. And same thing. I had a male reviewer saying, if you're going to talk about your abortion, then tell us what an abortion's like. Why don't you talk about your abortion? I was like, did you not understand the emotional journey that a 16 year old had to go through to end up at a place where adults are dressed up in cosplay, doctor cosplay and Jesus cosplay and shaming that person that meant nothing to you. You wanted to hear the dirty details about Ugh. abortion kind of fire. Ugh. Emma, we got to go. You are the best. Thank you for all your work and for continuing to push buttons and envelopes in spite of all of the patriarchy that tells us we shouldn't in comedy. So thank you extra for that. And we will put all of the links to your specials and everything you're doing and all your socials in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. A huge fan of the work you do. Thank you so much for having me. You can find Emma on Instagram at Emma Arnold is a keeper or Twitter at I am Emma Arnold. And her official website is Emma Arnold comedy.com. Liz, that's our show. 
Wow, we did good. We did great. Thank you, Katie, for joining us. You can follow and support the Women's Health Center in Maryland and West Virginia at the links in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Like, subscribe, and show us some love with a five-star rating and stay connected on social media at Abortion Front. Let's make a difference and have some fun doing it. Action items. You looking where you might fight in to do some abortion activism? You know it. We got a five-part activist training series called Operation Save Abortion, and you can find out all about it at OperationSaveAbortion.com. Then while you're there, please visit our super cool activist calendar, which is full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. From local town halls to virtual abortion pill trainings to online action hours, exposing anti-abortion centers, check out this activist calendar for a variety of events, both in-person and virtual. Next week, we'll be joined by Barry Lynn, author of Paid to Piss People Off, who will talk about the ways he's defended democracy over the decades. It'll be a real treat to talk to him. So listen in. I love Barry Lynn. Big fan. Oh my God, he's incredible. Also, if you like what we're doing, you know what? You could join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All of the pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Front. You can pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. And finally, we leave you with anti-abortion crusaders, Lila Rose and Matt Frad, two people showing their whole asses by combining anti-abortion and Second Amendment fan fiction. Would it begin to matter to us if they used guns or something like that in abortion? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's all cloaked in this yeah. medical garb. I think it's really helped. When I first got passionate and involved, thinking about it in terms of, okay, if this was happening to three-year-olds, if 2,500 three-year-olds were being taken every day to these like sterile health clinics and being dismembered, we would just be, what would we do? What would be our response? And... I mean, it's a dangerous line of thinking because it makes you feel very convicted for not doing enough for pre-born children. The only difference between a three-year-old and a pre-born child is age. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.